0: Good morning. It is February seventh, Thursday, February seventh, two thousand nineteen, and you are listening to episode three of Bedtime Stories with Doctor Dean. Um, first off, I I I I've been away now for I think it's been January first. I say so, I can't remember, but it's probably about two and a half weeks since I did the my my last podcast. Um, I wanna thank a few people, about six or seven listeners, uh well, like DM'd me on Instagram saying, Hey, uh, whatever happened, I uh, haven't heard you know, we haven't heard anything, blah, 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 that kind of stuff, so, which I thought was really cool, uh, the power of uh, social media or or putting something out uh to the universe. And um <clears throat> I will tell you that uh I got sick. I got sick uh badly badly. I'm still uh still just getting back on my feet. Um the day that the Rams, L.A. Rams played the New Orleans Saints and uh the biggest mistake in the history of penalty calling uh occurred uh, that kept the Saints out of the Super Bowl. Um I got sick as a dog uh I never understood that expression, by the way, "sick as a dog." I haven't seen that many dogs that uh, are really, you know, coughing and and you know, uh, leaning over the edge of a toilet and vomiting. Or uh, I never really understood that expression, "sick as a dog." But I got really sick, and um, uh, got really sick, and I got the worst earache I've had since I would say probably the last forty-some odd years. Uh, I don't think I've had an earache like this, but, um, so that's where I've been. Uh, I was just, I had no voice, unable to talk, uh, earache. I actually did something I haven't done on th- in the last 33 years. Uh, I got on antibiotics. I had to get on antibiotics. Uh, once that infection or whatever that was went to my ear and gave me the craziest earache on the planet, uh, I said, that's it, I have no choice, all the other, and I'm an alternative medicine doctor for those of you that know a little bit about me. Um, and I, I tried everything, I did everything, and and it just was too strong. The strain is just, just too strong. So um, <clears throat> I'm back, and you'll hear me taking a few sips of tea during this hour that we're gonna be together. Uh, and uh, like I said, there were about six or seven people. I was very surprised that um, I had about 140 listeners uh, to my uh, two episodes. And I'm just starting out at this. And uh, even my brother joked and said, now I know why you call it bedtime stories, because you can put people to sleep. And I was like, all right, I, making jokes, making jokes. So I, um, I was very surprised. that f- I think it was about six or seven people DM'd me on Instagram. And uh, hey, just checking up, uh, waiting to hear more about uh, about your childhood and stuff like that. So um, I said, you know, something. I'm feeling good. I'm getting a little bit of my voice back, and uh, wanted to uh, spend the next hour with you. We're going to crank out a few podcasts so I can sort of catch up. But um, interesting two weeks that we that uh, we've had. Um, Let's talk a little sports right now, just for a little bit. Uh, recap a little. Um, I don't know uh, who the refs bet on that day, but it's obvious that uh, they didn't bet on the Saints. Um, I just, I just don't get it. I, 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 just don't get what I, what I witnessed. Uh, I, I mean, if you look at all the still photos and and all the videos. Um, and And just regular videotape uh, the 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 referee is like literally three and a half to five feet away from that play uh, on the sidelines. I, I just I just don't know what happened there. And uh, we're gonna have to have some changes in the NFL. There's gonna be some changes, I think, next year. Um, and I know my category is supposed to be science and medicine, but uh, there's gonna be comedy. And uh, and sports and science and medicine. We just uh, we didn't. Darren and I, when we were picking a category, we didn't know. Uh, let, let's do science and medicine. Why not? It's, I'm a doctor and all that other stuff. So, um, but next year they're they're going to have to start doing different things on um, in the NFL. Uh, I believe that um, each team should have um, a. Like challenge flag, you get one per half on, this is totally separate from a regular challenge. This is totally separate from a regular challenge about, you know, a ball dropping, did the ball touch the ground, blah, blah, blah. But this will be for a bad call, just in general, a bad call. And they can challenge it. So uh, I, think that's, I think we're not too far from that happening. I really do. I, I, I really do think that, that, that this is on its way. Some sort of replay on a bad penalty. Because uh, you, you just sit there and all it does is it creates this doubt of who's betting the games. Who's betting the games. So um, And let's be honest. Karma really hit the NFL Uh, This past Sunday, February 3rd, we're going to get into that in a little bit, but um, karma really hit the NFL bad uh, with the lowest ratings of any Super Bowl. I guess people just were bored of the game. I actually thought the game was quite interesting. I thought it was a – look, if you like chess – um, uh, or backgammon or certain kinds of things. Nobody ever says, you know, eh, really, uh, it, it, it was a backgammon match. Nobody ever nobody ever compares any kind of um, uh, dueling back and forth or defensive dueling uh, to backgammon. It's always, hey, look, if you like a chess match, this is the game for you. Nobody ever says, you know, if you like backgammon, this is the game for you. But um, uh, the... Uh, they the karma bit them in the ass because they had a 13-3 game which like i said i'm a, i sort of dug it i sort of dug the game uh you did see the beauty was you did not know who was going to win that game you know rams could have won the game on any play any play um and same thing with the with the patriots but uh let's be honest we would have had a much more fun Super Bowl shootout, Brady Brady against Breeze. That's the way the refs should have bet that game uh, in the NFC. But uh, I think that was the NFC, yeah, in the AFC NFC Championship. And who knows? I'm just I'm just making jokes that you know uh, what people always say. You know, uh, I always have these friends back east, uh, my back east friends who uh, maybe were. Connected in some way, some families, mafia families, they always love to say, ah, well, Now we know who the mob bet on. And it's like, you, know, you don't know a friggin' thing. Nobody knows a friggin' thing. They always love to say, you Now we know who the mob bet on. Now we know. I love how guys always go, Now we know uh, which refs the mob got to. Trust me, nobody gets to any of these refs. Nobody gets to these refs. But I highly doubt there's any corruption, but there's, I think there's just idiots, uh, just idiocy. I I don't even know if that's the proper word. Idiots, I know there's a word for that. Um, I, 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 you know, it's like what happened years ago in the end zone during Green Bay-Seattle game. Uh, You just, you sit there and your jaw drops. So, Um, but the, now moving on towards, uh, so that game led us to the, uh, to one half of the Super Bowl the other half of course we watched brady uh, march into a freezing cold uh Kansas City and uh just uh, amazing just amazing just just one of the one of the greatest games one of the greatest games so um <clears throat> then you pit the two of them together uh, and i told the planet that the patriots would win by 10 points i um I can send anybody that wants to see a snapshot of me sending a friend of mine, Brett Ernst, some of you people might know, Brett Ernst from the comedy world and also the Degenerate Gentleman Show, which is about uh, degenerate gambling um, that he's one of the hosts of. And I told him Patriots will win by 10. So if anybody wants to see a snapshot of that, I have it. Um, and he goes, 10 points? Are you nuts? So, And he took the Rams. He took the Rams that day. So I, I just knew. I just knew that Brady was not going to be stopped. After I saw Brady against the Chargers and Brady against Kansas City, I said, if they get uh, Gronkowski, Gronk, and Edelman, and Hogan, and a little bit of the running game going, the way they played uh, Chargers and Chiefs, they, they'll, they'll, they'll beat the, uh, the Rams. So very interesting. That was an interesting, uh, game, uh, lowest scoring game in history. And, uh, I, uh, I think you'll see Brady. My theory is Brady will play till about 60, 67. And, um, mm, excuse me. You'll be hearing that, uh, quite a bit in the, uh, Next 50 minutes, you know, within the next 50 minutes, I am just getting my voice back. I think Brady will play till about 67, and uh, uh, Belichick will be uh, coaching uh, on crutches of some sort. But um, they're just amazing. He's just the greatest of all time. And uh, the, it's just amazing to watch. You know, uh, love the Patriots, hate the Patriots. Whatever you may feel about the Patriots, they get the job done. They get the job done. They have a mediocre, n- n- not not mediocre for some teams, for an, an excellent season. But for them, a mediocre season. I can't even remember what how many games they won. I think they were ten and six or, or eleven and five. I can't remember. But um, it, it's just amazing. Brady had a. Yeah, not the greatest Brady season in the world uh, this year. Um, leads them to the Super Bowl. It, it, it's just phenomenal. Certain people, just like me and my friends say, certain people just have angels around them constantly. So, but congratulations to the, uh, to the Patriots, the New England Patriots. Uh, uh, three wins in the last five years, if I remember correctly. And uh, congratulations to... Uh, To Julian Edelman, a nice Jewish boy, and uh, congratulations, man! Winning the MVP, you deserved it. You deserved it. You were one of the keys. I told people, uh, I told Brett and a few others, if Edelman is uh, is good over the middle and catches and and can you know and has the hands that day, meaning you know catches the ball, uh, they can't be stopped. They can't be beat. And I think the way to keep Gronk. In the league, uh, with regard to injuries in the body, and how much damage he's done over the last few seasons to his body, um, I think you got to just keep him coasting up the sidelines. Don't send him over the middle. That's where these guys get killed—is over the middle. I love the idea that uh, on that play that Brady found him uh, to the two two-yard two line wasn't exactly the sideline, but it was about you know he was sort of riding that way. He was sort of. Outside, you know the hash marks. So I think that's the way you keep a guy from uh, getting, dest- you know, from destroying his body. Is keeping him from going over the middle. That's where these guys just get get hammered. So I don't know. Belichick will figure it out next year if they sign Gronk and uh, say to him, "Hey, you know, we'll bring you in on third and seven. We'll bring you in on third and eleven. And uh, you know, can you can you play? Can you go another season?" <coughs> Excuse me, we shall see what happens with that. So, covered the sports game and uh um obviously we'll talk about the NBA uh, when we get closer to when it really matters. Uh, a lot of craziness going on in the NBA, a lot of craziness with the Knicks and draft picks and and uh, you know, how the Knicks tanking the season, some people are claiming they're tanking the season. Uh, some guy was telling me they took out DeAndre Jordan the other night after he was having a great game because they don't want to win games. I don't know. It just you know, it's all to me. It just lumps in with all the people who go, yeah. Now we know who the mob was betting. Now we know who's uh, who, the, which refs the mob got to. You know, and I'm like, okay, all right, stop, uh, stop acting like that, Jimmy. Whatever, you know, I just know all these guys from back east that love to pretend that they know something. And, you know, let's be honest, nobody knows a friggin' thing. So that's the story with that. Um, so let me tell you a little bit what's been going on. So I took about two weeks off, two and a half weeks off from uh, this world of uh, social media. Did a couple little things, uh, uh, videos, promoting some shows that I'm doing. We'll get to that later on towards the end of the podcast. But um, uh, I, <clears throat> I, you know, I wanted to listen to episode two that I did. And I wanted to see if, uh, you know, what I spoke about. I wanted to see, you know, uh, you know, where am I going to carry this forward? How am I going to start the episode three off? Uh, obviously I started off with sports and a couple of little other shout outs and all this other thing, but I had this, you know, I had to listen and I was actually, and I'm not tooting my own horn here, not tapping myself on the shoulder a little bit, you know, patting myself on the, on the back. But, um, I thought I had a lot more mistakes (laughs) until I got on the treadmill last night and, um, and listened to the 55 minutes that I did, uh, episode two. I was I was very surprised. I thought I you know I got I, I was all over the place. I went back and forth and back and forth. I was actually uh, mildly in, impressed that uh I wasn't really that far all over the board. Um so I took down some notes on the treadmill and one of the things I I uh should reiterate um was uh I was in. I did want to say that at about third grade, I def I definitely started started to discover girls. Um, I had a girl that lived across the street from me uh, in the same quote unquote development that I grew up in, uh, Garden Apartment Development in Fresh Meadows, Queens. Um, her name was Jody, and um, Jody and I that was my uh, that was my first crush. That was the uh, uh, first crush and, um, the song that to this day, uh, so third grade is what? Third grade is, uh, nine years of age. Yeah. So yeah, right. Nine years old. Um, eight and a half, nine years old. I, to this day, so that's 47 years later, whenever I hear the song by Frankie Valley, my eyes adore you, um, adore you. My eyes adore you. Yeah. Adored you. I think. Yeah. Um, that's the song that I always think of Jody uh, whenever, because uh, I used to carry her books home from school, and uh, everything that's said in that in that uh, in that song is how I felt about Jody growing up, and um, she lived on the first floor of uh, of this, of a two story garden apartments the way we grew up in Queens, and I was on the second floor, but a couple of blocks away. And uh I used to sneak around back in the backyard uh of the development and uh and just lean up against her, her windowsill for hours and just hang out and talk with her. Uh till, you know, finally her father would be like, All right, Dean, come on, we're we're going to sleep now. <laughs> he would be two win- he would be two windows down in his bedroom. And um and yeah, it was fun. It was such a fun way to grow up. I guess that's like 1973 or something. And um, I would sit with her and her sister Eileen. Her older sister Eileen would be uh, uh, on the other bed in their in their bedroom. You know, back then that's what kids did. You know, uh, you you shared a room. We we didn't come from the money where every kid. Had a bedroom, so um, I forgot about her when I did the first uh, uh, podcast uh, episode number two. And I just wanted to, uh, you know, uh, shout that out. Uh, that's when I started getting into girls, and um, and I also uh, really, really wanted to point out a very, very strong affinity for basketball. I played in all different areas, uh bad neighborhoods, uh uh you know, uh, definitely uh but I was good. I could play. I I had springs in my legs and uh there was a time that my nickname in Queens was uh Dr. D. So um uh when I played in the um Fresh Meadows Jewish Center League, uh now I don't know if being Dr. D in a Jewish Center League is is anything to be too uh, uh, brag, bragged, bragging uh, wise? But uh, um, you know, considering the, uh, I guess the tallest guy in a Jewish center league is uh, five nine, and he's the center. Um, but I'm i I'm entitled to make Jewish jokes. I'm Jewish, so I can do that. But um, I played in freshman's Jewish center uh, league, and I played with. Uh, uh, it was uh, it was about seven, eight teams in the league, and uh, it was an interesting thing. And uh, I also played in my public school, PS-177. I played basketball uh, for Coach Ross. Philip Ross was his name, and that was 1975 and 76 or something. So I did want to bring that back as because um, that was always a part of my life, uh, hoops, and I like I said, I I, I played a, a serious game of hoop. I'm not BSing you. I was not a baseball player like that. I was a good first baseman. I was a good first baseman, but my abilities on the basketball court superseded my abilities on in, in any other sport. Played, played pretty much every sport decent. Pretty good ath- athlete, but uh, definitely basketball... Uh, on a graph was definitely the higher, the highest. I, I definitely could uh, could play, and um, uh, so that that basically carried over. Uh, my junior high uh, school uh, team did not have a basketball team, and then um, uh, I wanted to... So 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 like I said, I listened to the fifty-five minute episode two, and I just basically wanted to reiterate those two things my passion for basketball um uh, i spoke about in episode two my passion for julius irving i was a big fan of dr j and um and when i i remember when i got the embroidered jacket from the uh championship game uh when we won the championship if i remember correctly um the in fresh in the jewish center league I remember uh, that it was embroidered with Dr. D and I was like, oh, wow, you know, because he was Dr. J back then. And that was just part of part of a dream, you know, so uh, uh, that uh, basketball in my life was uh, was a very, very powerful thing. And uh, my grandfather uh, around the corner from my house uh, was retired by then when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. And uh, he would take me to the basketball court across the street, two blocks away from where I would end up going to high school. Uh, Francis Lewis High School had basketball courts, uh, cement outside. And we would play, I would, my grandfather would keep an eye on me because, you know, 10 years old, you can still get kidnapped Um, or shot or whatever. So uh, even back then, uh, you know, the, so my grandfather would watch me play ball, and uh, he would bring a chair and his little transistor radio, and he would listen to the horse racing that was going on at Aqueduct or Belmont uh, while I shot hoops repetitively for hours and hours. And uh, slowly but surely, started to uh, hang above the rim and, and do things above the rim. And, and, uh, I wish, I wish that it, uh, I wish that, you know, some of my dreams came true on that, uh, didn't happen. And we'll get into all that stuff in a mm. second, but it didn't happen. Uh, uh, and I, I, I often wonder what would happen if I played a little college ball or something like that, but, uh, stopped growing at around six, three, and uh probably could have used six five, six six. I think if I was six five, six six I would have been able to play college. Um, I just back then they just uh you know, I'm six two and I'm playing forward. And if anybody knows anything about sports, uh, you can't play forward at six two, you know. Um, you know, Kevin Durant is seven feet tall. So, um it's just a different ball game. So even back then you couldn't be six, two and a forward. So I didn't, uh, I didn't have those guard skills. I didn't have, I wasn't a ball handler. I was a guy that, uh, could drive and, you know, somehow and end up with the ball over the rim and my hand over the rim. So, uh, it was, it was crazy, but, uh, it wasn't the effective coaching that, uh, that I should have had. So, uh, that and I, looking back, I should have worked on my right hand and learned how to go right a little bit more. But things happen, and uh, you get down different paths in life, and and I'll and I'll expose that in a second. Um, one of the things that probably curtailed my um, my basketball uh, potential is I did get into drugs, and we'll get into all this stuff. Uh, nothing too crazy, but. Enough to uh, probably make me more sedate and more mellow. Although I did, although I did use to, I, I did very well uh, on the court when I was stoned. But we'll get into all that in a second. Um, okay, so where are we at now? We're at the uh, on this podcast. We're at 25 minutes in. So um, I told you that I went to to junior high and Ryan junior high is very very uneventful. Played played hoops in the streets with uh during lunch break with everybody and we all played ball together. Uh and then I uh, I guess nineteen uh okay, so let's get into uh twelve, 10, 11 years a of age. I started to become friends with some people. I had some neighborhood friends in the neigh na- in, in my neighborhood, uh I'll throw some names. Uh we had a uh uh martial arts family. The the NG family, literally, capital N, small letter G. And it was Randy, Kent, and Frank, and they were into martial arts, and they used to teach us all sorts of stuff, and they were neighbors of mine. And uh, hung out with some people, uh, a a guy by the name of Dan, and a guy by the name of Lenny was a guy I grew up with. And we all lived like in a two, three block radius of each other. And... um, These names will all start to come together in a little bit. But uh, uh, junior high, relatively uneventful. Then we go into uh, Francis Lewis High School. And that would be in 1979, if I remember correctly. And um, 1979, I entered Francis Lewis High School. uh, And I playing ball heavily in the streets and the parks and all over all over uh, Queens um, and running some very serious uh, ball back then and uh, around that time I think it was about summer 79 Dan's brother turned me on to smoking pot and that was a big thing, that was a really big thing you know I was basketball player. Nah, I'm not going near that. I'm not going near that stuff. I'm a hoops player. I'm a hoops player. And this is what I'm going to do. And then I started getting into smoking pot, uh, uh, heavily with those guys. And, um, they were just such, such fun, fun nights, fun nights. The very first time I, that I ever smoked pot, marijuana, you know, whatever. Um, You know, I don't think you get high the first time. You're like you spend the whole night going, I'm not, I don't, I'm not feeling anything. You know, I'm gonna keep saying it three hundred times, but I'm not feeling anything. And um, so, finally, there was a night where they finally got me high, and we went for a walk, and it was the most (laughs) mind-boggling experience. I think the first time you get high has got to be. I would say the first time you get high in life, I think is probably the the, the, the greatest I would say it's probably like anything else in life uh, usually the first time you do it uh, it's it was probably the greatest except maybe for sex, sex might be maybe a little bit less uh, uh, eventful the very first time you're you're really clumsy and uh, and you probably uh, don't last very very long but um We so I started getting into that smoking, and that became part of my life. And around I think it was '79, and uh, got into high school. Um, I think Jody went to another high school. We never became boyfriend and girlfriend, we were friends all the way through, but it never uh, it just never came to fruition. And a hundred years later, we would end up talking about that, and uh uh, you know, some of the regrets that we both had, um, about never going down that road with each other. So whatever, all interesting stuff. But, um, this is where, uh, everything's going to start to get a little bit wacky. Um, this is where it starts to, this is where you're going to start getting interested. And that's, this is probably going to be the turning point when you, uh, uh, decide you know i 'm going to stick with this guy episode four five six because th- this this is going to get this is where it starts to get interesting so um i'm uh just to recap i 'm playing hoops regular basis uh you know just dabbling a little bit with marijuana I never bought it at the time uh my friend's brother uh had it at all times and uh uh, you know, I eh, took a hit here. I took a hit there. Eh, starting to like it. Blah blah blah. Oh, let me let me see what happens when you play ball uh, with a, after smoking a little bit of pot. Oh, that's weird. I don't have any soreness in my knees. Oh, that's weird. I'm slamming. I'm dunking the ball. Oh, that's weird. I'm I'm my my vertical leap is uh, 38 to 44 inches. Um, uh, which, by the way, is insane for a white guy, especially a white Jewish guy. But like I said in episode three, my springs were off the charts. Um, So all of a sudden, uh, you know, I'm I'm scoring points left and right in all these games. I'm doing moves I've never done before in my life. And uh, now, as a doctor, 35, 40 years later, I sort of understand the the neurochemistry and the uh biophysiology as to why I was able to do those things um, I I did really having a great time uh I started to blend the two smoking pot and playing hoops and uh it was just mind-boggling uh and also I was I became a distance runner I started doing a lot of running uh 4 miles 5 miles and and I would smoke a joint, and then go running six, seven miles, and it was just ridiculous. So, um, I don't know, it was just very different. Different time back then, very different. But uh, I should tell you guys that I got uh, bar mitzvahed uh, May twenty first, nineteen seventy seven. I was thirteen years old. Uh, I did not go to Hebrew school. Um, I begged my parents uh, to to not. Um, you know c- to take me out of Hebrew school and and uh how are you going to get Bar Mitzvah well you know you'll get me tutored down the road when I need whatever all right whatever so my father of course not wanting to spend money for Hebrew school thought that was a great idea pull him out of Hebrew school so i end up getting uh tutored for my bar mitzvah uh and i had uh, a rabbi that was basically almost like a bookmaker uh, so i'd go to his guy's home he would teach me Uh, What I need to say for my uh, quote unquote confirmation of being bar mitzvahed, uh, which is uh, uh, something you do at 13 uh, where you become a man and um, uh, I don't understand why you become a man at 13. uh, You can't get into any bars and you're not legally entitled to have sex on your own uh, consent, but somehow you're a man in the Jewish religion. Um, So I never really understood that. But um, I get bar mitzvahed and uh, uh, tutored all for about six months. Every Sunday, I got tutored by this uh, rabbi. And uh, nice man, Rabbi Goldstein. And uh, as he would be tutoring me, you'd hear him go, all right, give me the Redskins uh, minus three. Uh, you know, he was d- d- taking bets and, and making bets. Uh, as I right, you... Uh, uh, you know, do the, do the prayers. Yeah. Do, do those prayers and, uh, give me the, give me the giants, uh, for a hundred on, uh, minus, minus seven. Yeah. Yeah. Go back to the prayers. And, um, yeah, the guy was, uh, bookmaking and, uh, taking bets and giving bets, uh, uh, as he was teaching me the, uh, the Haftorah, uh, portion of my Bar Mitzvah. So, that was an interesting uh, period. Smoked a long cigar. I remember this guy. <laughs> and he was a character, but a, a nice man. And uh, so I get bar mitzvahed. And uh, yeah, I'm one of the few people who had a massive anxiety attack at my bar mitzvah. So uh, uh, I, I, I knew I was in for, for a, rough, a rough gig down the road. Um, you know you're going to have a rough time when at your bar mitzvah you have a massive anxiety attack. So, uh, we're at 13 now, so that puts me at 1977, and let's go back to high school, just wanted to let you people know, I was bar and and all that other good stuff, um, and uh, so I get into the pot thing, and I'm playing hoops, and, uh, uh, you know, getting stoned, and, uh, starting to go to concerts yeah, at about 15 years of age, start going to concerts. Uh, I think I saw Pink Floyd, uh, The Wall. I definitely saw Pink Floyd, The Wall, uh, at the Nassau Coliseum. I just can't remember if that's 1979 or 1980, but I, I am one of the few people that can say, yeah, I saw Pink Floyd at, uh, uh, went in there. Uh, they only did two appearances for The Wall, and uh that was in Los Angeles and in um Long Island Nassau Coliseum so uh uh starting to get into that whole thing starting to get into psychedelics and and um uh just getting stoned and hanging out with friends in a dark room with a black light marijuana posters on a on a uh had like a felt material and um it was just <laughs> It was just crazy, just a crazy thing, just getting into uh, smoking, smoking pot. And the pot was so different, folks. It was so different than the pot you guys are smoking now. You know, now you smoke pot and you go to Pluto after taking one hit. You're you're, you're on Pluto in about eh, 45 seconds. You're, you're launching to Pluto. Um, our pot back then was so easy. The The ride was an easy ride. There was no paranoia. You didn't, uh, you know, end up on Pluto. Uh, you, you, it was such a, was such a different time, 1979 ish. Um, you, uh, it was it was very very weird. It was a very weird weird uh, experience for me. It was very weird, and of course, my mother was like, you know, stay away from pot. That's a gateway drug. You're gonna get into other things and blah 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 and this and that. And in a way, I have to admit, it 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 was. It, it you know, I'm not saying that physio- physiologically it does that, but um, but it was for me. I definitely tried other things after that. Um, but. Uh, uh, I, these days, uh, fast forwarding to 2019, I'm 19, I'm an advocate for, for marijuana. I don't really smoke it anymore that much. Um, but, uh, but I definitely believe in, in, in some of the power, uh, and healing effects of, of, of the plant. So, uh, but, um, cutting back, uh, bringing, going back to 1979, 1980. So that's what life really became about, um. Hiding my stash of marijuana, and my little collapsible bongs, and my pipes, and my carburetor pipes, hiding all of that stuff in a partridge family lunchbox, underneath my bed. And um, uh, my father used to like to watch the news uh, uh, in my either my bed or my brother's bed, uh, depending upon which son was home that night uh, before he you know had dinner. And was eventually going to go launch uh, a dish of spaghetti sauce uh, all over the kitchen uh, walls. Uh, for those of you who listened to episode uh, two, um, but he, so I used to have to like, like pretend that I was laying on the floor carpeting, watching the news with him or watching TV, and then I would reach my hands under the bed and uh, pull like a, a Peter Graves from Mission Impossible and uh, roll a joint. On either uh, bruce springsteen 's born to Run album, which was a primarily white cover album cover or a uh, pink Floyd the Wall album uh, or a uh Beatles the white album uh, so while well, my father was you know tweezing his nose hairs <laughs> in my bed um uh, watching the news or whatever we were watching then, Hollywood Squares, whatever, whatever was on. And uh, it was very odd, just a very odd dysfunctional family. Why my father was in my room watching the television or Yankee game with me or whatever. We were watching the Yankee or Met game, whatever. Back then the Yankees, you know, had a really, really competitive team every year. So, um, and I'd be rolling joints, uh, pretending that I'm watching the game with him. And um, the bed was a little too high for him to see uh, the contortion of my body, but uh, I'd be rolling joints uh, on a uh, on an album cover underneath the bed, and um, yeah, it was a very very odd family. Praying that my mother would not come in and say, "All right, it's going to be ready in fifteen minutes," whatever you know that kind of thing, and, and seeing me rolling uh, rolling weed. So I got heavily into pot really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. And like I said, uh, I would be like, Hey, my knees feel great. Uh, and I've been jumping all day on this court on this basketball court, man, my knees feel great. Uh, so even back then it had anti-inflammatory effects, you know? So, um, I get into it and, uh, this is where things are going to really shift and are going to, going to, going to grab your attention. I, um, Going back, I guess we're going to go slightly forward. So I'm in second year, I think, uh, of high school. And uh, uh, I get my mom and dad finally allow me to play basketball in a league called Mid-Queens Boys Boys Club, which was in uh, Bayside, Queens, uh, Springfield Gardens, Queens, um, yeah, I guess that's pretty much the general area, Bayside and Springfield Gardens, uh, area. And, um, so, uh, these were f- 15, 16 and 17 year old, 14, 15, 16, 17, I think was the league that you could, you know, those were the age brackets. And, uh, uh like I said, I was, you know, pretty serious hooper and I wanted to compete, and uh knew some of the guys that played in this league from me playing street ball and uh doing a number on some of these guys so um i uh, get into the league and uh you know never really got into you know uh bringing any weed or pot with me to uh to any of the games or anything like that, but uh my life would change um in 1980 on a on a cold january night in um in uh bayside um when a gentleman who would really change my entire life uh came over to me at the end of a basketball game a hard fought game that i that i played in and probably scored like 17 18 points uh and we lost and i remember losing to this team and uh, just being bummed out about just the way the team, this coach coached us and just pissed off. And all of a sudden, um, this guy comes over to me. Is Everything I'm going to tell you from here on in, this is exactly how it happened. This guy comes over to me that I would occasionally see this league was Friday nights and Saturday mornings. So some teams played on Friday night and you know, there'd be 200 people in the stands. And if you had a girlfriend, which I didn't, um, all these players had their girls and their sisters and moms and dads would play ball. And I would come and watch them in the, in the, uh, gym, uh, the gyms that were rented, you know. We basically rented a, a public school gyms or high school gyms on Friday night and Saturday morning. The league would do that and uh, pay some referees like twenty dollars a game to ref a game, kind of stuff. It was really, it was really a great league. I think they're still. I don't even know. They might still be open. They might still be doing it for the kids now. Um, so uh, I remember uh, this. I remember always seeing this. This guy. Um and I'm um, you know, it all it all gonna start to take off now and people who know me that that are gonna listen to this podcast, uh maybe some friends and family are gonna go, Oh, here he goes. This is where it all changes because I know what he's gonna get into. All of a sudden, guy comes up to me and I had seen this guy's face a few times at the games and he was, he was about 400 uh, years, a hundred years later, we remained our friends. Uh, and he told me he was 415 pounds. Then he was 415 pounds in January, in January of 1980. And um, he would always be at these games Friday night, He would be at the games. Saturday morning, you'd be at the games, basically in the same clothes, almost in the same clothes as the night before. And disheveled looking guy, um, frizzy hair, mustache. Uh, He was 32 years old uh, at the time when I was 16. And how do I know he was 32? Because my uncle, the policeman in Queens, ran his plates because... This is where it's going to get interesting, folks. Stay with me on this. And um, let me see how I'm doing on time. Hold on a second. Let me see. I got 14 minutes left. But this is where it starts to get real interesting. Um, So uh, I would see this guy, and he would always have a a New York Post. Let me take a sip of tea. And if you want to know the concoction that I'm using in the tea, it's, uh, it's pretty heavy duty stuff uh, that, I'm, that I'm using. Um, just DM me if you're having uh, this strain of cold and I'll uh, tell you what, what to throw in there. Um, so I always saw this guy for the 17th time. I always saw this guy and he always had a New York Post underneath, uh, underneath his arm. It was always tucked underneath his arm. And wedged in between his, you know, latissimus dorsi fat and and his serratus anterior fat uh, um, pockets that he had. So uh, this guy was about 400, 415 at the time. He claims 415 many years later that in 1980 he was he, years later he he would tell me that that's what he weighed in 1980. So he comes over to me, and um, now. Folks, you have to understand that right about this time, a a, a guy, a famous serial murderer, um, uh, emerges in the world of of uh, news broadcast. Uh, a guy by the name of John Wayne Gacy in Evanston, Illinois, uh, becomes uh, they find thirty one uh, bodies in his attic crawl space. I'm sure you people know who I'm talking about. Um, he's one of the largest serial murderers in the history of, of, of the world. Um, him and Ted Bundy and all those other things. But, um, this guy was a carbon copy of John Wayne Gacy. I mean, the, the mustache, everything, the weight John Wayne Gacy, I think was like, 330 pounds, this guy was 400 one of those you know it was so they were so um so much of a resemblance to the two of them so excuse me so this guy comes over to me and he spoke in a very very high pitched voice and i'll never forget this as long as i live i'm bending down to tie uh, uh, i'm sitting on a on a stool on a chair and i'm exhausted from the game and i just you know busted my ass out there on the court and bah, ba ba And, uh, I'm changing my sneakers to get into my, uh, uh, sort of boots because it's freezing out. And, uh, in January of 1980 in uh, Queens, New York, the weather's freezing. So, um, and I'm getting into my, the proper clothes that I want to get into. And all of a sudden this guy comes over to me. Now I had, I just want to refresh the the, the story slightly, I had seen him numerous times. And the word on him was that he was a coach, a basketball coach, and that he had coached two or three championship teams. He was like a Belichick. He was a genius in in basketball coaching. And he um, used to come to the games to watch talent, but, you know, to see the players. And so I you know I wasn't too freaked out by this and I knew about this guy Gacy at the at the time if I remember correctly the the times pretty much overlap each other and um he comes over to me and he had a very high pitched voice but uh at the time every once in a while I didn't know his name but I saw his newspaper under his arm and I would go uh hey, can I take a look at your New York Post? All I wanted to know was how many points Julius Irving scored the night before uh, playing for the Philadelphia 76ers. He was traded. And all I wanted to know was the box score for the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. And um, uh, I had worked a summer league a basketball league like a year or two prior so I had played a little bit of ball with a guy by the name of uh, World Be Free whose name used to be Lloyd Free so I used to want to see how many points Lloyd Free scored in for the 76ers uh and I used to uh shoot hoops with uh with Lloyd Free uh in a in a summer league um a few years back like 77 78 so, we say 77, I think. So, um, I would always just ask this guy. I didn't ask him his name. I didn't want to know. I just wanted to see can I see your, uh, your New York Post for a second? I just want to read the uh, NBA last night. So, he would give me the paper, and that would be it. That would be the extent of our relationship. Well, he comes over to me on a Friday night game, and he says to me in a very high pitched voice I'll never forget this. He comes over and he goes, y- Your team is shit just like this, your team is shit. And I look up and I go, excuse me? He goes, you, you're a good ball player. You, you can play, but, uh, your team, your team sucks. Your team's shit. And you have a terrible coach. And that's exactly how he spoke. He had a very high pitched, strange voice. And I said, well, yeah, you know, whatever, you know, different strokes, different folks. I, I really didn't know where this was going. And, um, he, uh, he goes, you got, you got some moves, though. You know what you, you, you know what you're doing on the court. And I said, well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. I'm, you know, I'm trying, man. I'm trying. And uh, he goes, no, no. I, I, I I've been at this, uh, been at this quite a few years, and uh, I, 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 know uh, good ball players from uh, not. He goes, you know, not only do you score points, but you also, you know, know how to pass the, pass the ball. And that's how we spoke. Very, very odd speaking voice. And, um, and all of a sudden. He says to me, uh, and this is where it got weird. So uh, we started talking about some of the players on the team and um, critiquing, and it seemed, that, it seemed like the two of us sort of agreed with each other on certain things. And uh, he said to me, um, out of nowhere, I said, hey, man, you have I think it was a dime. <laughs> I think it was a dime. I said, do you have a dime by any chance? And he goes, You want to make a call? Back then, a a telephone call in a telephone booth was like a dime. And I said, uh, yeah, I want to call my father and have him pick me up, uh, uh, you know, that kind of thing, so I don't have to take the bus home or whatever. And he goes, i I give you a ride. Just like that, he goes, I'll give you a ride. And... I don't know what made me do this, but I got in, but I decided to call my father and say, hey, I'm you know, I'm getting a ride with a friend, blah, blah, blah. Never mentioned a name, never mentioned a license plate number, nothing. Um but by the so so I go in I, I can't believe I did this. I don't believe I did this. We still laugh about this. Me, my mother, my father, my brother. We still laugh at the absurdity of what I did. Um he goes like this to me as uh as he gives me a ride as he as he says i'll give you a ride he goes you don't have to call your father or uh, i'll give you a ride home uh i said well let me at least call and tell him he doesn't have to come here oh okay that's smart that's smart yeah that's a good idea and uh i said uh And I didn't say, Dad, I'm getting a ride with this guy. You know, most fathers or whatever back then would have said, uh, who's the guy, who's who's taking you home? You know, not mine. No, no, I didn't have that. Uh, My father's like, oh, all right, good. I'll catch you when you get home. (laughs) It was was just insane, the dysfunction. But um, so I get into this guy's car, and nobody sees me get into this guy's car. I could have vanished forever. Okay, I could have vanished forever. Uh, John Wayne Gacy was was luring kids into his house and killing them and, and, uh, you know, 31 kids, 31 boys uh, they found in in his crawl space in his attic. And, And out of nowhere, the guy pulls out, I'll never forget this, pulls out a pound of weed in the car. It was a Buick Regal a 1977 Buick Regal and I I ended up getting the license plate number and I ran the plates a couple of weeks later my uncle ran the plates for me and said no the guy's the guy doesn't have any uh record which means nothing it means nothing it you know it doesn't mean a thing he just hasn't been caught for anything so um uh what happens is I get in this guy's car and he pulls out a joint I don't know how he knew I liked to smoke or whatever and he pulls out a joint, and then he drives me home. And I'm very leery to smoke with this guy. It's just me and him in the car. I'm 16. He's 32, 414 pounds. He resembles every bit of John Wayne Gacy that you could possibly imagine. And I'm sitting there going, oh, the guy's got weed. I'll, I'll, I'll risk my life. I'll go into the car. And I did and i took a ride home with this guy and this man would later on change my entire life of which we're going to get into even further but this man drives me home and i'm i'm taking a few hits off the joint that that he rolled in like all of 16 seconds he rolled a full joint and um and we're smoking on the way home, and I, I don't I don't want to smoke too many hits, because I don't know this guy, and I don't know anything that's about to happen here, and next thing you know, I could be in handcuffs, and, and uh, lured into uh, uh, left off in Cunningham Park, or Alley Pond Park, for those of you who remember those parks in Queens. Um, definitely parks you can definitely bury your body in, that kind of thing, and nobody would find um, back then. Um, so, I get into the car with this guy, and uh we're smoking, and um, I decide that um I don't I am starting to get stoned after two or three hits. This guy ended up having the craziest weed. And he, you know, looked at me, and he goes, It's it's uh, it's uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's gold. It's Acapulco gold, it's really good. It's Acapulco gold, it's really good stuff. Acapulco gold. I'll never forget that's how we sound it. Acapulco gold. And I said, uh, Hey, you know, what's your name, man? And he's like, uh, Jonas. And so for the first few weeks, I, I kept thinking this guy's name was Jonas. I ended up finding out his name is Mark. You know, he just passed away. One of my dearest friends on the planet for 37 years, we were friends. Uh, yeah, 38 years, 38 years. He just passed away in September. Um, he's one, one of the best, just a great guy. But The stories are going to get off the charts pretty soon. If you just stay with me on this. Off the charts. Stay with me and you'll see what I'm talking about. Because we got to wrap this podcast up in two minutes. I'll leave you with this. So he. I don't want to go home. But. I'll go across the street to where Jody lives, stoned off my mind, and I'll go to Dan's house, which was like a free-for-all house. There was, the door was always wide open, one, two o'clock in the morning. This was only about 10, 10 o'clock at night. And I went to Dan's house, and I called my mother and father and said, "Oh, hey, I'm over at Dan's house. I ended up getting a ride and blah, blah blah." And this uh, guy, Mark. Ended up taking me and Dan and my friend Lenny and I said, listen, I met this really, really weird guy that's always at my basketball games and uh, he's got something. Killer pot, come on out. And these guys put on their sneakers and their pants so quickly or whatever they were wearing, their sweatpants, whatever. And they, they got into the car immediately. And I didn't even know how to say the guy's name. I just copied what I said. I said, uh, uh, this is Jonas. Like underneath my, oh, this is Jonas. This is my buddy Dan. Uh, Lenny, this is Jonas. Uh, I didn't even know what he said, what his name was. Turned out his name was Mark. And um, and uh, I, normally I would keep it more an, a, a, a anonymous, but I just the man meant so much to me in my life as you will hear in episode four, uh, because it is going to get crazy very, very shortly. And, uh, it's worth devoting, uh, the next podcast to. It gets very weird. So he ended up taking us across the street to this, to the, a portion of my high school where everybody drag stripped and smoked pot. And we all hung, hung out and, uh, and listen to some Woodstock and Neil Young uh, um, on an 8-track cassette, and I've got to wind this up, and we smoke pot with this guy, and as of January 15th or 16th of 1980, my life would never be the same, and I will leave you with that, and now you're going to start enjoying yourself with me on Bedtime Stories with Dr. Dean. Trust me on this. Come back to episode episode 4. You'll see where the next few episodes are going to go. Thank you folks, and it's good to be back